it's an absolute thrill and privilege for me to be here. Um, and uh, if, you, if you're newish to the church, you may not know that we share quite a, a, a prophetic word between us as churches that we would be working together like um, pistons in an engine. I forget the type of engine, but Len, Len would remember that. Um, and part of that picture is that um, over time, there would be a sense of us working together in some sense, um, equally, not exactly the same. So it's been a wonderful privilege to watch your faith journey. Can you say faith? faith? I've got a little bit of the African still left in me, so work with me today. I apologize if that's not your comfort zone, but it will at least keep you awake. Um, I did suggest the church should hold 24-7 prayer for this coming week in an air-conditioned room. It would be the best attended prayer meeting that there ever has been. Um, so you could, you could consider that. Um, but yeah, it's a real privilege to have seen the journey you've gone on as a church. Uh, of course, the building has been the most visible and evident kind of act of your faith over the years. And some of you are, have been part of that from the very, very, very beginning of that journey. But also just the stories and hearing about the, the culture of health and the, the sending and releasing bit. I know Morris would be part of you, but he's um, often traveling and away. And we watch on provoked by your faith. So thank you. We watch on encouraged by your faith. And um, on behalf of you, the leaders of, of Hope have been a great personal encouragement to me and have become, have become dear friends. And we join you for the prayers of many. We'll be joining you at New Day. Um, this is normally if the youth are in the room would have a whoop. So if you're a parent joining you at New Day, there you go. Very good. Um, and looking forward to that. Um, and this morning, I have the privilege of continuing the series in Hebrews 11 on faith, and I am confident that God would speak to you as individuals and as a church. Would you like him to? But the, the challenge is, no matter how good I am, or thankfully how bad I am, um, the state of your heart has a big deal with how much God speaks to you today. So I'm going to pray for me and for you, but I wonder if you'd actively join in right now as we, as we pray and just ask God to speak to you. Father, we thank you that you are the lion and the lamb the mighty, strong, and yet tender, gentle one, the one who comes to us. I want to ask this morning, Lord, that uh, you would speak. I pray, bless me that I might be a blessing. But I do pray for each and every one of our hearts, Lord. We, we need help to receive your word of faith. We need help to knock down the walls of whatever there might be, hurt and stubbornness and pride or just simply ignorance. We need your help, Lord, but we believe your word is living and it's active and it will change us and, and do us good and bear fruit from the seeds that are planted. So we anticipate you speaking to us and we welcome it this morning. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not entirely sure how the, uh, the visuals would work, but if, you, if you're not a Christian or you're new to church or your Bible's super dusty or you have no idea where Hebrews is, um, I'm sure you've got a phone, you can Google it, or you can follow it up on the screen. I love the title of this series, Convinced Standing on God's Promises, because I think that's a great description of what it is to be a Christian. <laughs> We're convinced of God, because we've met Him, and we spend our lives standing on His promises. And um, as we look at these heroes in chapter 11, and how they have outworked their their faith, we're going to learn some things from them, not just to simply apply in our lives, although that's important, but learn how we can better honor and follow Jesus and be fruitful for him. And this faith isn't merely an intellectual assent to some standard of teaching, but, but faith that is robust, life-shaping trust 
that is acted upon in expectation and anticipation. So faith is a robust, life-shaping trust that is acted upon in expectation and anticipation. And as D.A. Carson puts it, God-honoring faith takes God at his word and lives expectantly and obediently in the present, waiting for him to fulfill his promise. I like that. It's quite comprehensive. God-honoring faith takes God at his word and lives expectantly and obediently in the present, waiting for him to fulfill his promise. Uh, It's not quite as comprehensive, but I like the way Tony Evans puts it. Tony Evans puts it like this. Faith is acting like something is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. Can I have an amen? Amen. Say that again. Faith is acting as if something is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. Now, some of you are pulling apart that quote. It's all right. It's not, it's not the Bible. It's just a helpful, helpful quote. But as wonderful and as nice and as stirring as these quotes are, what does this active, robust, life-shaping faith look like in day-to-day life? How can you... And I hope this is the question you're asking. How can you demonstrate faith like these old heroes of the faith? How can you demonstrate it in day-to-day life when you feel like all you do is clean floors or, or wipe bottoms or handle complaints on the phone? Grace to you if that's you. If, you just, if you're serving coffee, if you're handling someone's finances, if you're studying or you, you're making judgments in court, how can that life look like a life of faith and not just on the weekend when you're hanging out with your neighbors and friends or not just at church when you're thinking, how can I use my gifts? How can Monday to Sunday look like a life of vibrant faith standing on the promises of God? How can you work it out? And let's be honest, some of you have just managed to get in the room um, because life really sucks right now. And uh, I'm preaching that thing in about vibrant, life-changing faith. And you think, and you sit there thinking, it's taking all the faith I can muster to just get in the room because life is hard or because there's hurt in the room. Well done, if that's you. Well done for coming to Jesus, even when simply stepping in the room is really, really hard. How can you, whether you just crawling in or whether you're like, I can't, this is the best series ever, it's about faith, and you're all fired up. How can you demonstrate this faith? Well, I trust as we look at the life of Abraham and a little bit of of Sarah's life that we will be able to see how no matter what your situation is, you can work out a life of faith that is commendable to God. And so my title today is Faith Obeys. Can you say obeys? Hopes and trust. And we're going to read from verses 8 to 16 of Hebrews chapter 11. Let's read together. Well, I'll read and you can listen. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations and whose architect and builder is God. 
By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith, died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place. Can you say a better place? A heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So we're just going to walk through these verses and make some observations and see what God says to us. So firstly, obviously, we read about Abraham. So in verses 8 to 16, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, and he set out to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise. Now, before we start trying to work out how this speaks to us, just a little bit of context, this calling, because Abraham's faith is in the context of this call he received, this calling we read about in Genesis chapter 12, right at the beginning of the story of the Bible, where God comes to this man, Abraham, verse 1 of chapter 12, and the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Or if you've got the King James Version, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. I love the life of different translations of the Bible. Get thee out of thy country, out of thy kindred, and out of thy father's house. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old, so not quite as old as Terry Virgo, when he set out for Haran, not 184. So as part of God's unfolding story over the ages, he comes to this man, Abraham, and he tells him to leave his family, to leave his home, and to leave his country. And it's really helpful sometimes to understand the context because we can read easily, by faith, Abraham did these things. (laughs) It wasn't easy for him. It was a significant change for him. And he went to an unknown destination, but holding this promise that if he was obedient and said yes to God, God would bless him and through him bless many, many others. And again, just a little bit before we unpack this, some of us in the room are thinking, but God hasn't spoken to me like he did to Abraham. (laughs) You know, we get this idea that, uh, that Abraham had this very specific and deliberate and an unquestionable encounter that God said to him, go and do this. And uh, that's probably what happened in him. But for most of us, for most of our lives, the leading of God might not be that obvious. Now, I pray it is. And I pray today God can deposit something in your heart and he can speak to you. And some of you are doing what you do because God has spoken very specifically to you. And that is wonderful. But in the absence of God speaking specifically, Can we be doing anything in faith? And the answer is, 
There is a lot to be getting on with that we could spend all our days working out an act of faith while we wait to hear from, from God. And sometimes we live in this, um, we live in a, 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 the, the privilege, most of us, of having options. We live in a developed Western world, and most of us have options as to what we do with most of our most of our lives. But the privilege of option can often lead to the paralysis of action, can't it? And this is what we do. We say, I'm seeking what God would say to me. I'm seeking what is the right choice. Really what we're doing is we're seeking what's the best choice for us. But we're doing it under the guise of I'm waiting to hear from God. You know, sometimes we are waiting to hear from God, uh, you know, and it's important to wait sometimes. But, but if, if everything else is put on hold... Really, it's FOMO, isn't it? Who knows what FOMO is? Yeah, my daughter goes to secondary school next year. I'm learning a lot of lingo. Uh, so it's the fear of missing out, okay? And, and there is a paralysis of decision-making, particularly in the younger generation, but increasingly for everyone, because we think, if I say yes to that, I'm going to miss out on that, and it might be better. And as Christians, we are brilliant at doing that, but we make it super spiritual, okay? We say, I'm, I'm seeking the best, choice for God, when really what's going on in our hearts is uh, I'm seeking the most comfortable, profitable choice for, for me. Now, uh, that's not all of us, but it will be at some point or the other. Listen, while you seek God, get on in faith with what He has given you to do. There's an unfolding story here that would impact every single waking moment of your life that you can work out in faith what God has called you to and how He has called you to it. Because a lot of the world who live in abject poverty have no choice. So either they're not living in faith or when they do, the only thing that they have in front of them in faith, trusting God, looking on Him. Now that is faith as well, trusting God. So the presence of choice is a privilege, but don't let it lead to paralysis. Just because you don't hear from Abraham, got from God, I mean, you could hear from Abraham, don't know how that works, so that you don't hear from God the way Abraham did. I hope that encourages you. Because when you haven't heard specifically from God for something, and you're next to someone who has, you think, huh. Am I not that spiritual? Does my life not count as much? Listen, there's a lot to be getting on with in faith for God. So as we go into this, do seek and anticipate him speaking to you. But also just say, God, where I am now and what I'm doing now, how can I do it in faith to the glory of God? Because that is what you are called to. And faith more than anything is a posture of the heart that we'll see, although it does have uh, working. So back to Abraham. A few things I want to highlight from just that account of Abraham Firstly, his call was costly. Can you say costly? To lead country. We can think that living the life of faith is a life of glamour and a life of reward and a life of fullness and no pain and no heartache. It's certainly a life of reward and of fullness, but there is heartache. We'll come back to more than that, but we must understand that although Abraham is as glamorous by faith man, his call was costly. The second thing we see then by faith, Abraham obeys. Can you say obey? He says yes to God. Do you notice it says he obeyed and set out? Now, I don't want to overstate the case, but I think it's important to outline that obedience is first saying yes in your heart, and then it outworks. But it needs to first start in the, needs to first start in the heart. So uh, Abraham, he says yes to God. He says, I am in. But a yes in the heart 
If it's a true yes in the heart, always leads to action. Abraham sets out. Can you say sets out? He takes a step. He acts on his faith. I'm not sure faith doesn't lead to action. Faith always leads to some action. Even if that is just deliberate and constant prayer for the thing God has spoken to you about. His yes in his heart moved him to action with his hands. True faith starts in the heart, but it stimulates the hands. Faith is active. It's very tangible. Sometimes we can remove it to be this like super spiritual feeling kind of thing. And the faith affects real everyday life. It outworks in someone. You know, you start, you, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Have you heard that? Someone who just lives in like the spiritual realm, but just seems just removed from reality of life. That's not how faith works. Faith lives in that realm. It encounters God. But actually, just as Jesus taught us to pray, when you live in that realm, you then find your heart saying, let your kingdom, let your kingdom come down. And then finally, just a quick observation, then we'll see how we can work it out in our lives. Abraham stays. Can you say stays? Sometimes we think the glamorous thing is the going. But it's important to note the scripture here. It says that he stayed in the land that God took him to. Now, he lived in tents. We'll come to that. But Abraham did stay. There was a, I think it's a suggestion of settled commitment, even though he was a man always on the move. But he stayed there. So looking to our lives, I think if you want to live a life of active faith, now all of these come under obey, if you like. Said my title is obey, hopes, and trust. If you want to live this life of faith, it will be costly. There will be pain in it. And like Abraham, you will need to leave things behind. Things that are good, bad, or otherwise. But often things that are precious to us. Maybe you're just beginning your, your, your walk as a Christian and you're beginning to realize, actually, I, I need to leave some things behind. And that's difficult for you. And as a Christian, the more you, the more you grow and the more you, you find God, you, you find there's more that you have to leave behind. So there is a cost to this. So I, I'll, paint, I'll paint the nicer side of the picture as, as, as we get on. But it's when you get saved, you go from darkness. You leave darkness behind and you come to light. You leave slavery behind to sin and you find a new slavery to righteousness. You, you leave behind the old and you become new. But all leaving behind is hard. There are some in this room who have left behind other contexts to come and be part of what God's doing here. Some of you will leave hope behind to go and be part of something else. Someone's going today. Maybe that's just the natural rhythm of things, but there's a leaving behind of friends, of relationships, of securities. It's a costly thing to live a life of faith. Matthew 16, 25, we read, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will actually will find it. Jesus promises in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have in the trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And sometimes I think when we, when we talk about faith, we don't want to paint the other side of the reality of the, of the cost. Now, not for a moment I'm saying the cost is equal to the reward. But it's true and it's real. I, I grew up in a, in a setting 
in Zimbabwe and Africa where sometimes uh, I, I grew up in a bit more of a faith kind of environment to start with. But, but it was almost like you denied reality <laughs> because you believed God for the best, as if that you had to do the two. We'll come to it later, but, but, but faith looks the facts in the eyes, doesn't it? And yet it still believes God, because actually the point of it is that God can do that which cannot be done otherwise. It's not denying, it's not pretending something doesn't exist. It's, it's facing the reality of it, saying, but, <laughs> but God. That's what faith does. And so in your workplace, maybe you are called to leave reputation as you obey in faith. Maybe you are called to leave behind relationships. Maybe you're called to leave money because it's got too much of a grip on your heart. And you know God is saying to you, you cannot serve two masters. Maybe you need to leave behind family and friends and obey God's call to go somewhere else. Maybe you need to leave a large, bustling church to go and pioneer somewhere that will be hard. Maybe you're called to give up a career so you can serve in a different way, maybe an elderly relative. Maybe you're wrestling with desires in your flesh around sex and intimacy, and you're called to leave that behind and follow God in the season he's called you to. Maybe you're wrestling with dysphoria or same-sex attraction, but you're choosing to find your satisfaction and fulfillment in God and following his call to a single and celibate life and you've had to leave something behind. Maybe you're stepping into a role that makes you more uncomfortable and visible, and you've left behind anonymity and comfort, unknownness, and not taking responsibility. So I don't know where you are on that spectrum. Are you, do you know you need to leave something behind? Have you just left something behind and you, you're living with the cost of that? Or do you look back on your life and think, I left that behind. It was the best decision I've ever made. We loved our place in Canterbury and in Whitstable. L lovely little seaside town. We loved the people. But I cannot now imagine not leaving that behind. But it took us a year to say yes to God in our hearts and to wrestle with it. There is a cost to this. And because obedience starts in the heart, we find we're willing to pay the cost. And this is an important, important point. Thomas Chalmers, uh, I think it's Thomas Chalmers, he talks about the expulsive power of a new affection. Can you say expulsive? And he says, we often live our Christian life trying to say no to something that is, you know, is, is, it could be wrong or could just be good, but it's not what God's called us to. And we, we try to walk this way, but we, we're so holding on to it. But what he says, what we need in our hearts is an expulsive, it expels that power of a new affection. You fall in love with something else and your love for that thing fades away. The things of the earth will go strangely in the light. Oh, I won't sing anymore. I want to bless you this morning. In the light of his, of his glory and his grace. You see, we say yes in our hearts because the miracle of salvation is internal. If you are trying to conform externally and live this life of faith, but your heart isn't changed, you need to rewind. And you need to look on the inside. Any horizontal deficiency in the Christian life is not primarily met by greater resolve. It's primarily met by greater vertical drinking because the Christian life is an overflow isn't it? So if your heart's dim and forgiveness is hard and saying yes to God is hard and you living more in the cot and what you've left behind than what God has called you to, feed your heart. Because obeying God starts in 
in there. And if you are externally conforming and you, your heart actually hasn't changed, so this, it feels like that, that's partly commendable, and I think it is, if you're aware that your heart is holding on to something it shouldn't, but you, you're pursuing God, but make sure that you're working on your heart, keeping yourself in the love of God. Because at some point, disillusionment and abandoning things will, will grip your heart if you're not working as much on your heart as you are on what you are doing. Because obedience starts in the heart. Abraham obeys and he sets out. His faith overflows. What do you need to say yes to? Just speaking about obedience, what do you need to say yes to God about? Not a general question. I want you to just for a moment where you are think, what do I know God has called me to and I need to say yes to him on? It could be this huge thing. It could be this small looking thing. Decide today. Maybe whisper it to someone. Maybe send them a text now. This is permission to be on your phone. I presume you're texting someone. You can text. But, but whatever you do, resolve to say yes to God. And then you get help in working it out. Because that's where this life of faith starts. It says yes to God in the heart. But faith also sets out. Faith also takes action. And so at Redeemer, we use this phrase, stepping out. I think from what I've heard here, a similar phrase would be being on the front foot. Kind of, I've heard that a few times, and I think it's a, it's a cultural thing. And so, uh, th- talking about the Sunday moment at our church, we talk about stepping out. So, nearly everyone in the room is convinced that the church is where God meets with us, that there are spiritual gifts available in the church, that God can speak to us, that we can hear from God. And it's not about holy people up the front and, and the rest of us, that we all can hear from God. Most in this room, I, I, I think, would be convinced of that, or at least on a journey to that. And so whilst we're convinced on that, for it to actually happen, people need to step out. They need to come to the front, you've demonstrated today, and share a word that they think God might be saying to them. I had the privilege of being at the prayer meeting before the service today, and a few people came up to me and said, I'm not sure, but I think God is saying. And they, they stepped out, and I was encouraged. <laughs> Maybe you came in today, and you think, God, God put something in your heart for someone, and you're like, but what if they don't receive it? But, but what if it's wrong? But, but, but what if, what if, listen, say yes in your heart and take a step. Take action. Step out and do it. You will be surprised at the blessing that comes from it. So uh, I don't know, in, in the old building that you were in maybe two years ago now, I was preaching, my, my last preach out hope, and I just felt in the middle of my preach, God speak to me about someone on the other side of the room. That was, I think it was two years ago. And then I was in the car. There he is, yeah. I was in the car some months ago with him and he just reminded me of it and I, I, it was not a moment where I was like oh I know without a doubt those, those are the ones you tend to fall a bit flat on your face um, sometimes but I just I, by God's grace I stepped out and I'm still doing that and I just felt God speak to me so to make sure I'm not just preaching it to you and I'm trying to do it um, as I was praying today uh, and over the weeks for hope um, I had a few words um, just two for today and I I, I had this picture of this, this man called Paul, <laughs> and I, 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 the details might not be right, but I felt, Paul, you were sitting somewhere here on this side of, of the room, and uh, I just felt God would say to you, his hand is on you. You feel like you've been under duress, but his hand is upon you, and this bizarre phrase, he's got the ribbons. <laughs> he's got the ribbons. I don't know what that means, but does 
Does anyone, I'd like to pray with you after. There's not going to ask you to do anything now other than just give me a wave if that might be you. Thank you, sir. I'd love to pray with you afterwards. And then I, I felt there was someone else who might be going through chemo or you, you know someone who's going through chemo. And there's something about when this person is under treatment, they look up at the ceiling and there's something about the ceiling. It's either a picture or a mural or a, or a shadow. And there's something about that that is uh, striking. And I just felt God wants you to know he sees you even in those darkest moments. Simple as that. He wants you to know that he knows. So that, if that's anyone here or if you know someone in that situation, please pass that on because they might not be here given that. Um, so no one immediately, but I trust Lord, that you would work all things together for good. Doesn't, that's what he does, doesn't he? So even if I've got it pretty wrong, God can take it and work it for good and speak to someone's life in it. Doesn't mean I don't keep growing in it. But we need to keep taking action. Faith grows as it takes action. I think in Scripture, I, I didn't prepare this, it says that you may be, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test and discern what the will of God is. Now, how do you test and discern? I think you do it. Your mind gets renewed. God said this. You do it, and you see the fruit, and you test and discern that it's, that it's a good thing. I want to encourage you, find context where you can step out or be on the front foot. I might be totally misunderstanding that phrase. But beyond the Sunday, what can you set out and do that you feel nudged by God to practice it? Practice it with your neighbors, offering to pray. It's amazing how often people say yes, but we always think that they're going to think we're weird. Anyone have that experience? When you eventually pluck up the courage to offer, they say, yes, please. And they go, I play hockey in Colchester, and I, I send a WhatsApp message to my hockey team. And I said, uh, my life is in church all the time, and I would like to spend some evenings with people who are not in church and don't share my faith to find out what you think about Christianity. I thought my best buddy might be able to say yes to it. But I ended up meeting between four and six on any given week over the course of, I think it was 10 weeks with folks from my hockey club. And we just talked about faith and God and church every week. And I wasn't like super confident these guys will say yes. You know, I was like, like will anyone respond? And it was, you know, I was putting myself out there a little bit. And, and they did. A whole hockey team has come to church at least once. And uh, the captain's wife got saved on Alpha recently, and he comes along to church now. It's, it's small things, and it isn't just me. Others in the, in the church are part of it, but it's been a beautiful thing to see what God can do. And I'm aware time's going, so I, I, I want to rush on. But we, we saw that Abraham stayed. And I, I, I think when you stay in faith, I call it a tented contentment, a tented Contentment, because we can so often think that contentment means passiveness. We can so often think that being content means we don't dream for what's next, or we don't yearn for it, or we don't seek it, or we don't seek it out. But being content, content means I'm, I've just closed all my options and I'm right here right now and it's okay. That might be what it looks like, but contentment is much more than that. <laughs> Your contentment is in Jesus, not in what you do and where you are. So you can feel like God has given me all these promises and he's called me to stuff and I'm not doing them, but you can still be contented. Or you can be in a situation, you think there's something wrong about the situation. My workplace is like this. I'm not happy about this, but you can still be contented as you believe God and press into him for those things. Often we, we, we can have this unsettledness 
about us and we, we, we can say, it's because I'm yearning for more. Hey, listen, faith yearns for more. It does. It always does. But you can live in a tent and be content. I didn't plan that. No. Um, so, so no matter what your situation is, if your contentment is in Jesus, you can be content. Tented contentment because you might be yearning for something more. You might be longing for something more. But you've got to find it in Christ. Proverbs says, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart. Above all else, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. So the, the way that you guard your heart and you don't oscillate from heart sick to joy and heart sick is you guard your heart by finding contentment in Jesus so that when desire fulfilled, it's wonderful. But when hope is deferred, it's okay because your contentment is in is in Jesus. My wife helps me with this. I'm so future orientated. I'm thinking about tomorrow, yesterday, and uh, I've had to learn to live in the present and be uh, any, any of us in the room. My wife doesn't even think about tomorrow. She's like, so today. It's infuriating. But she loves today. And I can look back on my thing. I think every day I've looked for the next day. I've not enjoyed today and what God's doing today because I'm yearning for what comes tomorrow. So faith moves on, but it also can be tented in its contentment. It, it stays, and it's costly. It's, it, you need to have obedience in your heart. You need to set out. You need to, you need to, you need to stay, but why? You know, I've given you some good tips, and I hope you, you're starting to realize this. These are nice tips, but, but what's the source, Hugh? Why would I do this? Well, we see this in verse 8 to 16, picking up in verse 10 particularly. It says, Abraham did all these things, verse 10, 4 he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He had hope. Can you say hope? hope. See, faith hopes in what is to come. In a comfortable, predictable Western society, although it has been shaken over the last few years, praise God for the shaking, not necessarily how it's happened, we now reckon that life is more fragile than we did before. One of the privileges of growing up in a more broken, in some ways, third world country is, is, is death is everywhere. Now you don't even see an abattoir. You know, most places, granny doesn't see her last days out in a room in your house. It's over there somewhere. We, we, we've pushed all, 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 all death, anything that speaks of us not controlling life and living forever away from us. And what happens in us then is we start to love this world so much and we forget that there's a world to come. So I think this is probably, if there's one thing I want to preach on the most in the years to come, it's the hope of the world that is to come. There will be a day where there is no mourning, no sickness, no death, no duplicit hearts, no mixed motives, and we will see him for who he is. By all accounts, praise God, I've got a, a good life, a pretty comfortable life. But it still has so much brokenness in it. But there's a life to come, friends. That if you grab hold of it, like Paul did, Paul was able to say, which one shall I choose? I, I don't know. I think Christians wrestle your hearts to love what is to come so that you don't know which is better. Because most of us live with what we will lose in this life, and I don't make light of that, relationships and friends. But what is to come? 
The more you anticipate that, the less this world has a hold on you and the more you can appreciate it, step out and trust God in it. For, for me to live as Christ, to die is, is gain. Wrestle this into your heart because Abraham obeyed God. He gave up everything and he, trans he, 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 he went all through all of these things and he had some bumps on the road. He's not a perfect man. You know, he called his wife his sister. So that all sorts of things went on. But, but he was looking forward to the city that is to come. This inheritance you have if you are a Christian. When was the last time you dwelt and meditated on the reward of being with Christ in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth? I've got a dodgy hip. It's a helpful reminder every morning. <laughs> like one day, Lord. It can be small. Redeem it. Hay fever. Oh, wretched thing. I have hay fever. You think, after one day, I won't have it. And then, of course, there's much more weightier things than that. Foster an affection for the world to come because it will loose you up in this world and release you to a life of faith. Because when you hope for that, if God can do that, and that's what he has, the things of the earth grow strangely dim. Scripture says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Is that true? It doesn't feel light and momentary, does it? Who's this young guy on the stage? Well, I'm not young anymore, but a young, younger guy on the stage. No, no, I, it, compared to what is to come, there's a light and momentariness to it. If you have one takeaway about faith today, faith hopes, in what is to come. And I'm talking about the new city, the new heavens, the new earth, union with Christ forever. But it could be hope for what's tomorrow because God can redeem it. He can break chains. We, at the prayer meeting this morning, I made notes. It was a privilege to be there. People were praying for, as a church, what we hope for, to make what you hope for, to make Jesus famous, to raise leaders for how God will use the cafe, to see the sick healed, captives set free, the lost found, to send and to sacrifice. Those are good things to hope for. And you will be able to give yourself more to those if you hope for what is still to come. Because you'll say yes to leaving somewhere nice to go somewhere where it might, the work might be a bit different and harder because your reward is still, is still coming. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. And then you begin to pray, let your kingdom come. When you taste that kingdom, that prayer changes for you. Because you begin to see this world and all his goodness for how broken it is. God, let it come. And then God says, yes, but I'll use, I'll use you. Faith obeys, faith hopes, and finally faith trusts. Can you say trust? So this is where it all comes. So, uh, uh, trust is what we see in Sarah's life. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. In Romans 4, we told that Abraham, he faced the fact that his body was as dead as good. He <laughs> was a hundred. God spoke to him and said, you'll have children. He faced the fact that Sarah's womb was barren, and yet he trusted God. She considered the one who promised was faithful. Faith obeys, saying yes in her heart and taking action. Faith hopes in what is to come. Faith trusts in the present, not based on one's sense of success or even one's faithfulness, and certainly not in what seems to be happening, but on what God has said, considering him 
faithful. Most Christian disillusionment is that God does not live up to what we told him he should live up to. Read what God says of himself. He lives up to that. He is faithful. You can trust him. Most bitterness and hardness of heart and heart sickness in my pastoral experience is because people expect God to be and do something he's never said he would be and do. So make sure you're trusting in the right place. And I want to finish with just a little illustration. Do we need to finish at 12 or do I just need to... Um, well, I'm happy it's just whether we, we do some worship. So uh, uh, just a very simple illustration for you quickly. Most of us, we believe in God, okay? But this is how we trust him. You're like, have you ever been in a long meeting on a slightly dodgy chair? And you come out, wh- wh- how, do you, how do you come out of the meeting? I, 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 do, I do trust you. And you come out of it, your legs are sore, you even begin to cramp up. Because you... You wonder why. It's because you haven't trusted that which you are sitting on. This is what. This is the trust you can know. Next time I'll pray. Oh, I can just be like, I won't lean back too much. You can just like. <laughs> this is what. This is what you can do with God. You can just trust Him. Ah, oh, it's good, Lord. It could be a long time if I do this, but hey, you you get you get the idea. Sometimes our trust is we we do trust you, Lord, but. But I'm not sure. And then we get hurt and we, you know, physically speaking, and then we, we, we wonder why we fell off the wagon or, you know, you think, oh, no, because we haven't trusted God. <laughs> I'm grateful for a good chair. I'm, gonna, I'm grateful for a good chair. So as I, as I finish, I just, uh, if you are not a Christian here today, you can sit on the chair of Christ fully without reserve. And you can hope for what is to come. And as you say yes to him, even leaving behind the cost, you will find that your heart meets with Christ. And the things of the earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory. If you're a seasoned veteran follower of Jesus, may the hope that is to come glow ever brighter in your heart. And may you say yes evermore and step out Stepping out is not for the young people. It's for the Jesus people. Jesus was the one, wasn't he? It's not not hard to finish with. He obeyed the Father, even going to the cross. He hoped for what was before. You were part of that hope for the joy set before him. We are some of that joy. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he trusted every time he said, so that scripture is fulfilled, so that scripture is fulfilled, so that he was trusting the plan of the Father through the ages. I wonder if we'll stand and I'll pray for you and then I'm, and then I'm done. Just uh, for a moment, I, I've, I always put my hand on my heart. It reminds me what it's actually about. Uh, just, just pause, be still. Holy Spirit, God in us we say we love you we cherish you and we invite you now to all these scattered seeds Lord I pray that you press in that which we need as individuals and we receive and we mix with faith and we resolve to say yes in your heart if you agree with me 
We resolve to leave behind. We resolve to say yes and step out. And we resolve and we do, even in this moment, trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you make any decision from today, please tell someone and help them journey with you. What a privilege to be with you. May the Lord do abundantly more. And we ask or imagine of him in our lives and through us.